0: The book of Acts this morning, let me clean things up here real quickly. We are back into Acts chapter 10 this morning. We're continuing our story from last week. Last week, Peter had his vision, if you remember, of the what? Of the, of the sheet with all the animals, right? The clean and unclean animal issue, right? And you remember that, that uh, God told him three different times to eat, and he said what? No, can't do that. Uh, I've never eaten unclean animals. I will not eat them now. And God said what? exactly do not call on clean what I call clean the vision ends and of course the people Cornelius sent show up at the door he brings them in he eats with them he talks to them and then he travels with them two days back to where Cornelius is Then finally he gets there, there's an initial, verse 30 and following, initial interaction between Cornelius and uh, Peter, at which point in time that passage ends, verse 33, that we looked at last week. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come, Cornelius is speaking, now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So they are, you think they're, they're well-prepared? They are kind of well-prepared, aren't they? In other words, what that means, by the way, is not that they've just been studying real hard. It means the Spirit's at work in their lives. The Holy Spirit is moving, evidently clear. They are Gentiles, and Peter has finally arrived, and the preparatory groundwork has been laid for the truth to be proclaimed. Does that make sense? That brings us to verse 34, to the end of the chapter. I would argue there's a number of things we could see in this text that are really important, but we're going to pick out two of them. And I think that the one works with the other or depends upon the other, but they're two important things, and I want to lay them both out for you. But let's start at verse 34, and we'll read to the end of the chapter, and then we'll spend some time in the text. So Peter, verse 34 of chapter 10, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every, na- in, in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Israel, Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You, yourself know, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. And that's our text for this morning. It's interesting. Um, this is the first, at least the first expanded discussion of the gospel going to Gentiles. It's pretty expanded here, isn't it? It's it's. uh, It eats up a whole bunch of, uh, of Scripture, and it's explained pretty thoroughly. There's several things that take place again. If I may just present it right off the bat, the two things that are essential that we see in this text are number one and most importantly, the gospel proclaimed and the evidence of the gospel effective. That's number one. The gospel proclaimed and the gospel evidenced. Put it, write it however you want to if you're writing notes. Very essential, very powerful. Number two is right underneath this, we could argue the effects of the gospel. And I'm choosing to put that separately because although we have an effect immediate of the gospel, there's another one that it's easy for us to miss. And I want to, so I want to keep it separate. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at number two first before we get to number one the effect of the gospel. It starts off right off the bat, and it connects the the text we're looking at this morning with the text before, and I think it's appropriate, especially in the day that we live in, that we recognize this. I'm going to read it again. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Israel. Uh, Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death. On a tree but hang on the tree but God raised him up on the third day made him to appear not to all the people but to us who have been chosen by God as witness who ate and drank after him after he, with him after he rose from the dead and he commanded us to preach the gospel, preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him uh, receives forgiveness of sins there's a number of statements in that section of verses that I read for the second time that we need to recognize importantly recognized, and I think it's crucial that we recognize. Let me just give you a little background for where I'm headed. I had a really long discussion. Jim and Lois and I were talking about this Wednesday night. I had a long discussion with uh, a gentleman, one of my past students. It was initially a Facebook dialogue, and then I moved it over to Messenger, so it's a private dialogue, because he posted something on Facebook about racial reconciliation. And I did not I was not pleased with what he posted. I was not pleased at all. Because what he, I without getting into the specifics of what he posted, what he was posting was something that I would argue is contrary to the gospel. What he posted, he's a pastor. Um, as a matter of fact, he's got his master's degree in theology. He's got his doctorate in theology. What he posted, he also pastors a, an inner city church in Washington, D.C., and what he posted, I would argue vehemently, and I did, that what he posted is something that is contrary to the historic biblical gospel because he was arguing that what is most essential to an understanding of the gospel is racial reconciliation and and it, what he was saying is it is part and parcel of the gospel well. That's heresy. Am I presenting it rightly? I read the text. I read the quote he gave. It's heresy. Pure and simple. That's a different gospel. It's very common today in churches. There is, for a variety of reasons, there is a very, even in the conservative American church, there is a very, not just in the American church, but it's really all over the world. There is a very strong movement to what I would argue is very much a social gospel. It's very troubling. And it is right now centered upon this whole racial uh, reconciliation issue. And I want to address it. It's interesting that we have it in the text today. Because certainly you can recognize here that there is an issue of racial reconciliation going on in this text, isn't there? And it's not just here. It's all over the Scriptures. And what did Paul say in Romans? There is now no what? There's no longer any Jew or Gentile, but we are now what? One in Christ. I mean, you can see the text is really, really clear. And it's not just here in Romans. It's other places as well. In the Jewish days, even in in Peter's day here, And long before, they misunderstood the law. And so they thought of themselves as being, what, superior or inferior? Superior. They misunderstood the law. The law never said anything about them being superior. Quite to the contrary, what did God say about about Old Testament Israel? They've always been a stiff-necked people. That doesn't sound very superior, does it? And also in the scriptures it describes them as being a really insignificant group of people and it does it very regularly. God didn't call out a group of people who were great. He called out a group of slaves, didn't he? Didn't he? They were a bunch of slaves in Egypt and he rescued them and and made them his people. But they misunderstood that and there was a call even in the Old Testament for what that the Jews would do what that they would proclaim God to who to the world
1: to the rest of the world <laughs> You're gonna put it over here, turn one, take it out of your i why? You you it They and the way they were keeping the community in the same way but the reason is that no the process is that land early after Genesis right, and the there were enough people to hate everybody but we don't quite like what we do we do Oh my we got a and they were to get around this <laughs> because somebody is going to have me and that one that was not because we needed to to and they traveled through the end with them, we're with them, and they need to ask for there for years. <laughs> and they the yes. What? I essential point that we have We have to recognize, and a level, you can't the original right uh, the of the there? The to you. the just to tell you. i Doesn't it? People, and they where you you are male, female, young. it male, female. I understand here. And the is going to mm. mm. <smestiination> change everything, The other of the this emphasis on racial is When you is that we have This emphasis is the church of racial a red Mm-hmm. Uh, That's uh, um, the you know? uh, right you know, this is Just being really
0: specific. not
1: what What are
0: Wielding the law. That's the only thing they have. Correct? They have nothing else. Now let me ask you a question. Genesis 3. When has that ever worked? I I just want to be as clear as possible. When has that ever worked? The answer is never. And it doesn't have to be about racial reconciliation, does it? It can be about anything. It can be about anything. The law never fixes anything. The perfect law didn't fix anything. Did it? No, because God didn't intend it to. Did he? He never intended the law to fix anything. The law's purpose was a a schoolmaster that would ultimately do what? Condemn us. Wouldn't it? It ultimately does only one thing and it condemns us. Which tells us that we need someone outside ourselves to rescue us. And therefore it points us to Christ who does what? What? fulfills the law, right? Does that make sense? Now, that's no different from any other law. No law has ever been able to change anybody. It doesn't. They may change you from, from being a lawbreaker to a legalistic law, law abider, right? It may change your function, but it never changes what is essential, right? It never changes the essence of who you are. It never changes your heart. Correct? And see, what's really troubling to me, especially in light of my conversation this week with with my past student, is this. What is happening in the church is we know we can't merely just bring in law. Okay? Okay? And so what's happening in a lot of conservative churches, what's starting to happen is we know we can't just do law, so what we'll do is we'll just change the understanding of the gospel so that I can drag in law. And we call it social justice. So I can draw in the law, but the problem is in that process, what have we done? We've destroyed the gospel, haven't we? We've distorted it. We've destroyed it. Now, obviously, we cannot destroy the gospel, but the gospel being preached in the church then is what? It's crushed. It's destroyed. And you start to become a church that starts looking like one of those churches in Revelation 2 and 3, don't we? Real quickly. That we start looking at at like, like the church in Galatia. It's just that we're not demanding circumcision. We're demanding something else. Correct? And that whole process doesn't change any hearts. And so what ultimately happens then is I evaluate myself not by the righteousness that's alien to me, that's been given to me, but I start identifying myself by how well I what? Am racially reconciled. Now, could I just ask you a quick question? Is that going to get you across the finish line? I suspect that's going to get you to the point where you're going to hear you ran in vain. Ran in vain. You see, for Peter, in this chapter, chapter 10, when he says, again... So Peter opened his mouth in verse 34 and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him is a dramatic gospel statement. And you know what Peter just said? If I may just say this, you know what fixes all the hatred in the world? You know what fixes and changes all of the racial... Separation. You know, it fixes all the sex, sex as in as in male female problem. You know, it fixes all of the um, old young problem and all the rest of the conflicts we have everywhere. You know, it fixes it. It says it right there in the verse. Listen to it again. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Verse thirty-five, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know, what he just said that was a, a brief nutshell gospel presentation. Anybody who fears and does what is right, and by the way, real quick, when he says fears and does what's right, it doesn't mean that both of those are are how you get saved. Fears him is talking about salvation, and does what is right is evidence of salvation. It's the evidence that salvation actually took place. Okay? So what is he saying there with regard to this? I was Jew, 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 Jew. That's what Peter's saying. Correct? Correct? Because he was. But now I understand something. What do I understand? I understand that Jesus Christ and his gospel changes the paradigm completely. And when I say paradigm, I'm talking about the human paradigm. Completely. In other words, Jesus Christ and the gospel... Of Jesus Christ changes every single thing about humanity and the human dilemma it's really important that we get the order straight the law doesn't do that again I appreciate that the law that that the world has nothing else it's got to do those things it'll never accomplish anything That's all they've got. It's control. Power. But Jesus came. And when he came, he died. And he was buried. And he rose again. Conquering sin and Satan and death. And the result is that now all Power and all authority belong to Him. And He, via the Holy Spirit, at work in someone's life, changes them. See, Paul's argument is the gospel changes people. And since God's plan is for the world, not just for Jews, it's for the world, that means that the gospel can change Anyone. And not only that, but it does change anyone who by the Spirit have had the gospel applied. What does that mean? It means that when the gospel is applied, they are taken as Ephesians chapter 2 says, from death to life. That old is gone and new has come. Correct? And that changes, according to God, it changes everything. It alters everything. Now, do we still sin? Yes. Which is why we had a, a repentance. It's one, one of the big reasons why I didn't want to miss our confession this morning. Because we still sin, don't we? And we still need to Repent. But if the Spirit's at work in our life because the gospel has been brought and has been by the Spirit brought into our lives, we do what? Repent, which is what Peter's going through, isn't he? I realize now. Sounds like repentance to me. And see, here's the point. For Peter and for God, ultimately, is when when we are made alive by the Spirit, it's no longer about what tribe you belong to. It's no longer about what color your skin is. It's no longer about what genitalia God gave you. It's no longer about your age or your size or your uh, ethnicity or your anything. And Paul sums it up so well. (laughs) He sums it up so well in Romans when he says we are all what? One in Christ. And Jesus sums it up so well when he talks about... Adopted. And Paul clarifies that even further into the same family. That's something law could never do. Law could never adopt. Law could never bring us into one family and certainly law could never graft us in to the same vine. We're all getting the same sustenance and the same life. That could never happen. See, the world's just chipping away slowly but surely on the, on the outsides, but they'll never get anywhere past that. The sad thing is the church is doing the same thing. There's something amazingly beautiful when people who are saved fellowship in the gospel, revel in the gospel. And by the way, true believers, What? Do revel in the gospel and fellowship in the gospel. And suddenly, it's not, it no longer is, oh, there's Sarah. She's a female. It's Sarah. There's a believer. It's no longer, there's, there's um, my friend Roger Skeppel, who is, a, who is a black man. It's Roger, my brother. Right? It's Roger, my brother. And then when I meet somebody else, it doesn't matter if they're black, Indian, Hispanic, old, young, female, male, it doesn't matter. They are either a believer or not a believer. If they're not a believer, what do they need? Do they need, let's say I run into black male. Just going to throw it out there. What does he need? If he's not saved, he needs needs the gospel. He needs Jesus. Doesn't he? Does he need primarily racial reconciliation? No. Remember what I said? It's secondary. We always got to keep first and second things. What did Paul say is a first priority? First importance? The gospel. It's really clear. I received this of first importance. And he goes on and talks about the gospel. Why is that first importance? Because it answers the dilemma of the second important stuff. Whatever the second important stuff is. The second tier stuff, it always answers it. Every single time. But when we get those reversed, or when we try to smash them together, Can I just submit to you something? Nothing is answered. When you take things of second importance and try to smash them in with first importance, it never answers anything. If you reverse them, it's even worse. And for Peter, he's saying, Nope, this is it. First importance. Second importance. I get it. Peter's saying, second importance. I get it. There isn't any anything else here except for what? Everyone needs to what? Believe in the first importance. Correct? Does that mean we never talk about racial reconciliation stuff? No, that's not what it means. Does that mean we say to someone who's oppressed, oh, buck up, come on. No? We should hate injustice, shouldn't we? We should abhor injustice, shouldn't we? But in the midst of injustice, where should our primary focus be? First important stuff. In the midst of injustice, I see someone being unjustly treated. Should I try to correct that? Yes, but what's really important? First important stuff. Gospel. Because when someone has the gospel, you know what happens if they're under oppression? Something radical happens when they have the gospel. You know what happens when, 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 when they're under oppression, but they have the gospel? The gospel spreads. You're right. And people find themselves like Paul in Philippians chapter 4, when he says, I've learned the secret of contentment. Whether I have a lot or whether I have nothing. Whether I'm free or whether I am imprisoned. Whether I'm sick or whether I'm healthy, I can what? Philippians 4. If you remember, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means I can glorify Christ where he puts me. In in the situations and circumstances he puts me in. Does that mean we don't stand up for oppression? No! Does that mean if I'm being oppressed I don't see what I can do to fix that? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But what it means is in the midst of it, what does it look like? I look at it and say, like Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, when he said, I have this treasure in what? Earth and vessels, jars of cheap clay. So that the glory is not of me, but it's of God. And so when all these horrible things happen to me, what happens? All it does is cause, the, as the chips fly off the piece of pottery, what happens? It exposes what's inside, and that's the what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. You no know Paul said. I gotta tell you something. That's a little bit richer than let's get new laws passed, isn't it? Isn't it? It's a whole lot richer than if we were in our church saying we need to have his most important racial reconciliation. It's a little richer, isn't it? Now, I hope you get I'm not saying that racial reconciliation isn't important. I'm saying this is the way you get racial re- reconciliation. When we get all jacked up over, over racial reconciliation, not the gospel, we've got first and second importance messed up. That's what we have. And it's devastating, and it's death. It's absolute death. Now, that's, that's the point in the beginning here, but it's a secondary point. Because the main point is what? Fear God and obey what He says. And then it says, verse thirty-five: Fear Him. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. And of course, as I already said, does what is right is the ramification and response, the true response to the gospel because I've talked about it before. I'm just going to pause just for a second on it because my view on this is different from a lot of people. And that is that when the gospel comes into our life, it, let me go back. When I was at Word of Life, here's what I heard whenever we were taught about evangelism. You share the gospel with people and after they accept Christ to be their Savior, I'm using their words, after they accept Christ to be their Savior, there's several things you need to tell them right away. Number one, you need to read your Bible. Number two, You need to find a good church and get going to church. Number three, you need to tell people about Jesus. You need to to tell people the gospel. Those are the three things that you'd tell people all the time. Remember? You were there. If Canelo was here right now, I'd ask her and she'd remember it as well. And all those three things can be summed up in one word. What is it? Law. Yeah, it's law. And I take a totally different view on it. Here's what happens. I take a really large view on the Spirit's work in our lives. When the Spirit moves in someone, and they are saved, He transforms them. And when He transforms them, something interesting happens. What happens that's so interesting is He gives them a new heart. I'm not telling you anything new. You knew that already, right? He gives us a new heart. And a new heart is a really important issue. <laughs> this is not something insignificant. Because when he gives us a new heart, everything changes in a believer. Because before, I hated the things of God, didn't I? Isaiah makes it really clear. I went my own way. I went astray. I looked upon him and I said, I see nothing interesting in him. Nothing attractive that would draw me to him. Is that what Isaiah says? But then when he takes me from death to life and gives me the faith to believe, my new heart that he gives me longs for Jesus and recognizes for the first time the love that's pouring out to me and pouring into me the love of Christ. And for the first time, not only do I recognize it, but I love the love that's pouring in. And I love the love pourer. Don't I? That's what happens. And when that love begins to pour out into my life, you know what starts to happen? If I may put it this way, it's like a jar under pressure. As more and more love pours in, it's just more and more pressure, love pressure. It's building up. And the PSI is going up and up and up and up. And when it keeps going up, what's going to happen? Something's going to come out, right? And what I mean by that is the Bible says, John says, we love because he first loved us. And so what happens is as I'm I'm recognizing, and because of my new heart, I'm loving the new love, this love that's pouring out to me. I just recognize this pressure, it's screaming out for an outlet. An outlet to respond to this amazing love. How can it be that Christ my God would die for me? And I have to vent, don't I? Because I've not been designed to be a vassal that can hold it in. i got to vent. But I don't have a clue how to vent. Because I'm still sinful. And not only that, but I'm finite. And I'm receiving infinite love from an infinite God who is infinitely holy and righteous. And I don't have the first clue how to respond. That's how corrupted I've been. And so what he does in the scriptures is he tells me, these are really great ways to respond. These are ways that I find really pleasing, God says. He tells them to us, doesn't he? In a variety of passages, he tells us appropriate ways to respond. And you know when I see it? You know what a true believer says? Oh, thank you, God. Thank you for telling me. If I may use a stupid silly illustration, Valentine's Day is coming up. My wife's birthday is September 6th. Christmas comes up. Oh, these are repeating things every year, aren't they? I don't know about you all guys, but I'm Mr. Clueless. I am absolutely Mr. Clueless. I'm sure you're amazing. So <laughs> <Seriously>, he is. <laughs> I am absolutely clueless. I love my wife. I really do. But I don't know how, how to best express that love. I don't. You know, what I do. You know, what I do. <laughs> I don't just go and say, well, you know, I'd like this. I'll get it for her. She ended up with like 85 guns, <laughs> you know, and running shoes. And flashlights. I love flashlights and knives. It'd be insane. She would not be amused. Oh, absolutely absolutely else would be, but she would not be amused. Can I just say this real quick? She would not feel the love.
1: She just wouldn't. Psycho ask her. <laughs>
0: That's what I do. I go ask her. Hey, hun, I ask her a right of ways, but I want to find out what she likes, what she wants, what she desires. What would please her?
1: That makes sense, doesn't it?
0: <laughs> That's what God did. As bad as it is, is with me and my wife and me unable, because of my cluelessness, to identify on my own what would really please her, I'm like 85 billion times worse in figuring out what God would be pleased with. In other words, what I mean by that is Ruth is a whole lot more like me. And I'm a whole lot more like Ruth than I am like God. Does that make sense? I mean, even the basics. He's infinite, I'm finite. He's absolutely righteous. I got an alien righteousness, but I'm not very righteous. He's absolutely just. I'm not. Not even close. We can go on and on with that, can't we? And he has told us, this is what would really please me. This would really honor me. This would really glorify me. And as we read the scriptures, we come upon those passages like Romans 12 through 16 like Ephesians 4:22 to the end of the chat, end of the book like the book of James like Colossians 3 and 4 and many other plas- passages That are not given to us. Yes, they're imperatives. Yes, they're commands and prohibitions. They're not given to us so that we follow a new law. They are quite to the contrary. They're given to people who are absolutely enthralled with the love of Jesus pouring out to them. And they want desperately to respond to it. But they don't have the first clue. And when he tells us, we're like, thank you, Lord. I have a vent. I have a place to release all that... Pressure that that recognized pressure by the Spirit in me because of the love I'm receiving to respond in love. He doesn't leave us clueless, and that's what it means when he says in verse 35. But um, but every nation in every nation, everyone who fears him, talking about coming to faith in Christ and does what is right is the response. Right? That inevitably happens, not because we're commanded to have it happen, but because what? Because we're made alive by the Spirit, and the Spirit is at work in our life, and the love of Christ is pouring out to us, right? And we're no longer children of wrath, but we are we are adopted and called sons. And we're innocent. And if that doesn't cause pressure, I don't know what will. And as we see that, we do what? We begin to do what? What is right. Now, how do we identify what is right? Because he tells us what is right. And the result is we are what? End of verse 35. We're acceptable to him. Because of how well we did? Because of what he's done in our lives. Not because of how well we've done. So he goes to all that rest that we're not going to talk about for sake of time. We're going to jump back out to um, verse 44. There's many things we could say in, in the middle of it, <clears throat> but we'll take it to verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, I love this. It's like X, X2 all over again, isn't it? It's exactly X2 all over again. Day of Pentecost, while he was still preaching, people started crying out. While, people were, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Did you catch verse 44 again? How many people got saved? They all did. Let's not miss the point. All those in Cornelius' house got saved. That is, all his friends, his relatives, they packed the house. And being, being who he was, he had a big house. The Holy Spirit fell on all of them, and the result was they all believed. Verse 45, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. The idea of being amazed, they were absolutely blown away. They were astounded. They were speechless, which clues us in why they all came with Peter. They were probably saying, why is he going to a a Gentile's house? Because they had the same issue Peter did originally. They were astounded. They were speechless. They were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Verse 46. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. I want to stop on 46 for just a second. That sentence. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Now I know we don't believe in speaking in tongues today. Now I'm fine with that. I don't believe in speaking in tongues today either. Although I was accused one time of leading our church into into the charismatic movement, which I always have found that really funny. Um, Be that as it may, I do not believe in speaking in tongues today, but they spoke in tongues, didn't they? It says it, right? But it's really important that we recognize what's going on here. This is the first real movement into the Gentile world, isn't it? Correct? When the gospel first was presented what began to happen people began to speak in tongues. It was an evidence that the gospel
1: of who? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Of. <laughs> and, uh, were a that the statement attempts was clear from uh, the very place where the message was written, the statement was clearly forming a table. The the text. of like, the uh, like, so the The evidence is, I'm primarily in this case, for the jury who are here. Right? The you who the the evidence, is the the Right? So, speaking of the case, for the in the book. They <whistles> they they the so they were hearing kind of them speaking in the train you it, this And Immediately, you can act deep that of this plane Wicklow. Theembnu sends the word, transplanting the immunodulence, the grammatical evidence trolls, and the 읽ens the past powiedzieć that the peptide pink features out to investigate, we can to the brownrical evidence courts like chicken in the I'm going to say right I'm ¿Yeah. okay. yeah. and to say right I'm going to say right I'm going to say to right right I'm going I'm going to I'm going i going to I'm going to say I'm going to say right I'm going to to right I'm going to say I'm going i to i i i i i i do you know, right. No. You wouldn't use the rejoicing, like, you the church. Would you? Right? That's how we say it right? and Right? That's how we, we it That's the the I'm not not I'm not I'm not i not I'm I'm not You what happened the I hope you no, was, 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 pressure, it? was instant pressure, wasn't was instant pressure. Super, supernatural. Holy Of course, then, verse 47, that they anyone anyway, of for would the Holy Spirit from God's So, they And as baptized, so they so the If you not the get that off. I get get but I'll Right? Right. Can I just say <laughs> the first I think it's not a time off. I a few days, you know, now, you know, I I'm how we didn't talk about there F401 Okay. I'm expecting to just think 55 Acts two
0: forty-two the to what mm-hmm. 2.42-47. They're praying and praying together. And they're praying together. And they're singing songs of, of praise together. And they're studying together. And they were mutually ministering to one another. And they were together tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And I suspect after a few days and Peter got up to leave, I expect there was probably a lot of tears. I suspect the centurion and his friends and relatives did not
1: want to see him go.
0: I suspect that although before they were all concerned about making sure the house was nice and clean all the time, they
1: just didn't care anymore.
0: They just wanted to study the Scriptures. They wanted to fellowship together. They wanted to pray together. They wanted to glory in Christ. And they wanted to extol God together. Does that make sense? Why? Because the Spirit was at work transforming them. Causing them to long for things they never longed for before. And they will beginning to love things that they once hated, and they're beginning to hate things they once loved. And the things of this earth would begin to grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Because that's what the Spirit does. That's why I refuse, I refuse to allow us to think wrongly as believers about the law. Because when the Spirit moves in our hearts, everything changes. And if I could just submit to you in this text, that perhaps this text reminds us that we need to review the Gospel. Does that make sense? If if we could draw an application out of this text, it could be we need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to review the gospel. We need to reconsider the gospel. We need to fellowship in the gospel because this is what the gospel does. And so that's where we need to return to and ask ourselves, have I lost my first love? Have I fallen into the traps that the writer of Hebrews, since we studied Hebrews, says that the writer of Hebrews said, be after it today while it's still today lest any of you develop a cold or, or, or hard heart. Have we let it slide? Have we not reconsidered? Have we not fellowshiped in? The beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the beauty of Christ himself. Because I'm convinced when, when we do, the Spirit moves and we are changed. And it's all caused by the Spirit as well.
1: Let's pray, shall we? Lord, help us.
0: We are people who get easily distracted, we echo with Paul. The very things I know I shouldn't do, those are the very things I do, and the very things I know I should do, those are not the things that I do. O wretched man that I am, who will set me free? Help us to remember to echo as well what Paul says next. Thanks be to God in Christ Jesus, because he set us free. And here we are today if we are believers not under condemnation. And as we remember that, Lord, protect us. Help us so that we will speak into our own hearts, hope in the Lord. Because we will praise. We will extol God if our hope is in God. So glorify Yourself. Bring much praise to You through our lives. I pray for us that it will be real by Your Spirit, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, Your will be done in our lives as it is in heaven. In Your name I pray. Amen.